Hi, I'm Matthew Kane, and this is the Dirty Air F1 Podcast. One light, two lights, three lights, four lights, five lights, and it's go, 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 go! Welcome to another episode of the Dirty Air F1 Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Kane. Thank you so much for joining me today. In this episode, I'll be discussing how Pierre Gasly and George Russell hold the keys to the 2022 driver's market and seriously place in jeopardy those I have put on the hot seat. My four drivers that are currently in the hot seat, and you would know this if you've listened to my other podcasts, would be Antonio Giovinazzi, Esteban Ocon, Valtteri Bottas, and Sebastian Vettel. I think what I should do first is establish why it is I think Pierre Gasly and Russell are so important. Pierre is currently driving for AlphaTauri Honda, which was also known as Toro Rosso beforehand. During his stint with Toro Rosso, the car was never competitive. It really remained in the midfield, but served as an apprenticeship for the big team Red Bull. Pierre replaced Daniel Kvyat at Red Bull and became Max Verstappen's teammate. Despite his promising pace at Toro Rosso, it never materialized at Red Bull and he really struggled with the car. After numerous poor performances, he was then returned to AlphaTauri. This proved to be a turning point in Pierre's career. He was now back in a car that he understood and within the team's confines where he felt welcome. And Pierre certainly rewarded them, giving the team its first victory at Monza, since Sebastian Vettel also won for the team in Monza. Pierre had overcome an incredibly difficult situation. I mean, after being demoted, it would have been very easy for him to have just packed up his things and gone home. But he didn't. He shined at AlphaTauri, he won at Monza, and he certainly deserved a chance back at the big team, considering how Alex Albin was performing. Yet the team decided to go outside of the junior team and sign Sergio Perez. Now, in one of the aftershows last year, I believe it was Nico Rosberg was a guest commentator or guest announcer, and he came in and he started asking some difficult questions about why would Gasly not go back to Red Bull? Was there something that had happened during his stay there? Was there a dispute between him and Marco? Or perhaps Christian Horner? I don't know. One thing's for sure. He went back to AlphaTauri. He wins in AlphaTauri. And he's passed over on the big team for somebody who comes from the outside. Now, if I were Pierre, I think that's just the writing on the wall. Red Bull has no intention of bringing him back up to the big team. And I don't see Pierre sitting around in F1 the rest of his life in the midfield. So I ask myself, where could Pierre go? Well, I look at Mercedes and they have potentially an eight-time world champion at the end of this year in Lewis Hamilton. They have Valtteri Bottas, a nine-time race winner. And they have George Russell waiting in the wings at Williams. I think Ferrari is off the table with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz there. And, of course, you have Mick Schumacher waiting in those wings. McLaren have Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris, who they seem incredibly happy with. So where does that leave Pierre? I believe it leads Pierre to Alpine Racing. Renault have recently stated that their commitment to F1 is definitely in the long term. And Esteban Ocon has been on loan 
from Mercedes to Renault. And the other seat is filled by one of the greatest drivers of all time, Fernando Alonso. So I definitely think Esteban Ocon is the one who saw him the move this year. Now, don't jump too far ahead of me now. I didn't say Ocon would definitely be going to Mercedes, but he's definitely leaving Alpine. I think Pierre is a magical driver. I think he's a star of the future, and he's in a situation right now where there are no positive options for him. The big team is not not on his radar, so I definitely think Pierre deserves to be in a team that is going to embrace him, that's going to support his talents, and it doesn't hurt that he's French. So uh, Pierre Gasly to Alpine in 2022. George Russell's a little bit different. George has never won a race. He's never been on the podium. In fact, George Russell's never even scored a point. Having said that, it's undeniable. We saw how George drove in Bahrain last year. We saw how he took over a car that was not suited to him, was not fitted to him, and yet he controlled the race pretty comfortably. I think fans unanimously, unanimously want George in a better car. I mean, can you imagine George Russell next year signing a long-term contract with Williams? Uh, no. Please, for the sake of F1, no. (laughs) George has got to get out of there. I think he's handled his situation brilliantly. He's been a total class act at Williams. He's driven as hard as he could, and George will definitely be on the move next year. So like Pierre, I ask myself, where could George possibly go? Well, the other Mercedes teams are Aston Martin. Hmm, I don't see him going there. And Mercedes. Now, Mercedes, I do see him going there. And this was one of the reasons why I put Valtteri Bottas on the hot seat for 2021. But I gotta tell you, ever since Lewis signed a one-year contract, things seem to be totally amiss at Mercedes. And they always just seem to be unraveling. I thought Lewis's performance in preseason testing was average. I mean, average at best. Martin Brundle had mentioned that they had done some interviews with Lewis that they plan on showing during the season, but uh, so his general overall impression of Lewis's attitude was that he was, he was unhappy and he was actually grumpy. I mean, are we really looking at Lewis Hamilton's last year in F1? Hmm, I don't think so. But I do think George Russell goes to Mercedes in 2022, guaranteed 100%. So for the time being, let's pretend that Lewis stays at Mercedes. Where does that leave Valtteri? Valtteri is only 31 years old. I mean, he has nine wins, 16 poles, 15 fastest laps, 56 podiums. That has to be attractive to somebody. And in my opinion, it would be very wise for Williams to sign Valtteri Bottas for 2022. Now that Williams has been bought out by Doralton Capital and the Latifi family are obviously heavily invested for the future, I think it would be a great situation, almost mirroring what's going on at Aston Martin, for somebody like Bottas to come in and mentor Nicholas Latifi. So I think Botas's best chance for 2022 to maybe end his career on a two- or three-year contract would be with Williams. And plus, they have the Mercedes engine. So for the time being, this would put Hamilton and Russell at Mercedes. But I don't think that's going to happen. All right, I apologize. I'm going to have to leave you hanging. That'll keep you listening to the end of the show. <laughs> so I'm going to move on now to where does Esteban Ocon go? Esteban is somebody I, I really admire. He didn't come from privilege. His family didn't have the resources to buy a team or sponsor a team, etc. Esteban got here on, on talent, and he deserves to be on the F1 grid, in my opinion. 
When we take a look at his background, that's where we really start to discover his tie-in with Mercedes. I mean, he's 24 years old now. His best quality is third. Best finish is second at the 2020 Secure Grand Prix. He's had 67 starts and one podium. But his career goes all the way back to 2014, when in F3, he was the European champion. His F1 career started when he was signed on as a reserve driver for Lotus, and he drove 28 laps in free practice in Abu Dhabi, and then was asked to test for Force India. He switched his focus to DTM, and then was signed by Mercedes as their reserve driver in 2016. This is when he was first loaned to Renault by Mercedes. He was named the Renault Reserve Driver and then ended up getting a stint at Manor Racing. Now, Manor was never competitive and never gave him the opportunity to show what he could do. One thing Esteban did do was outperform his teammate by the end of the season, highly regarded Pascal Wierlein. Mercedes were obviously very impressed by this and helped him secure his seat at Force India in 2017 when he replaced Nico Hülkenberg. To say that Ocon was reliable and consistent in his rookie season is a total understatement. He only had one retirement, which was in Brazil, when he was hit by Grosjean. He finished the season with 87 points, including a fifth in Mexico and Spain, and he qualified third at Monza. By mid-season, he was on Sergio's pace. Unfortunately, they came together a number of times, which caused a lot of tension within the team. The main sponsor was Mextel, which is a Mexican cell phone company, and was there because of Sergio. I'm pretty sure they, they had no trouble letting them know how displeased they were with Ocon. Nevertheless, Mercedes flexed their muscle, and Ocon remained at the team into 2018. He continued to do well and was totally on Sergio's pace, but they continued to have clashes. Esteban's fate was finally sealed when Lawrence Stroll purchased the team and obviously filled the seat with his son, Lance. Esteban therefore sat out in 2019 and returned in 2020, teaming with Daniel Ricciardo. I think Ricciardo is one of the best drivers on the grid, potentially top three. But I was still surprised how poorly Ocon did against him last year, especially in qualifying. Do I think that Mercedes want him to take a step backward and drive for Williams? No. No, I don't. But with Lewis and Russell at Mercedes, where does that leave us? In my opinion, Ocon could end up at Aston Martin. Let's say Seb doesn't have a good year this year. Or let's say the car isn't competitive. Do you really think Sebastian Vettel's the kind of guy who wants to drive around in the middle of the field? I don't. And despite Lance taking his seat at Force India, Lance Stroll's best friend on the grid is Esteban Ocon. Esteban Ocon's manager is Toto Wolff. Toto Wolff just invested in Aston Martin. Interesting. I think if Lewis remains at Mercedes... Esteban Ocon could end up at Aston Martin. Would Seb leave after one year? I think Seb's max. He's going to be there for two years, and then he's looking to be in a different role within the team because he himself is invested. I mean, would, would Esteban really sit out another year? I don't think so. I really don't think so. So now let's switch gears and assume that Lewis Hamilton does leave. Do you think that Mercedes would want Esteban Ocon on the team? I say yes. Here's the first reason. When we watched George drive in Bahrain, did you notice how much his helmet was sticking up out of the car? George didn't fit in that car. George is, I think, six feet or six foot one, and Ocon, I know for sure, is six foot one. And with a new car coming in in 2022, new regulations, new designs, wouldn't it help the team going forward if both their drivers were the same size? I don't know why I, I, 
am even thinking this, but something's happened in the last few days. And I recently read a report from Jacques Villeneuve thinks that Mercedes and Lewis are about to part ways. And you know what? I think he's right. I don't see Lewis staying. I actually see Esteban Ocon joining George Russell at Mercedes if Lewis leaves. If not, I guess it depends on Seb. But Ocon does have options. Aston Martin or Mercedes-AMG. And for that, he's a pretty lucky guy. I must say the financial certainly makes sense. Right? Ocon's making $5 million a year right now and Russell's making one. It's okay. Both sign new contracts. Let's say they're in the range of uh, Charles Leclerc, 8 to $10 million. So that puts the team's salary at $16 million. Now multiply that over two or three years. Okay, decent amount. But when you have Lewis making around $45 million and Botas making around $10 million, that's $55 million. Multiply that over three years. That's a lot of money that could go to the car, could go to development, could go to different you know, projects that Mercedes are working on. And we saw what Russell did in Bahrain. I mean, we're all wondering, right? Could he actually drive that car as well as Lewis does? Is it worth the gamble? A lot of boxes are checked here, folks. So if this crazy prediction is correct, and Lewis does end up leaving Mercedes, I do see Lewis going to Aston Martin. No doubt it's a team on the rise, right? Their new factory is going to be ready by 2022. You have an ambitious passionate owner in Lawrence Stroll, who would probably pay top dollar for Lewis. And if that's one of the sticking points in a long-term contract from Mercedes, I don't think that's a problem for Lawrence Stroll. I could see Toto Wolf going with him. That makes total sense since Toto's personally invested in the team. And don't forget, Toto and Lewis have been a pretty devastating combination. You have the close relationship also with Sebastian and Lewis. And I bet Sebastian and Lewis would love working together in that, in that sort of, that capacity. I could see, you know, the analytical, the analytical German mind of Sebastian Vettel loving to get inside to see how Lewis actually drives a car. I think that would be enticing to him. They get along great. The team's on the way up. Why not? And it would also finally add to the legacy of Lewis Hamilton that yet again, it didn't matter about what car he was driving. He was a significant force in getting the car to the front of the grid in whatever team he drove for. I can actually see this happening. All right, all right, all right, all right. I got to catch my breath here. I can't believe what I just said. <sighs> wow. I think we'll know more about the Lewis situation in the next couple of days. But until then, I'm, I'm, boy, I really don't know what to think about this. Other than that Lewis is going to move. What do you think? <sighs> okay, deep breath. Compose myself. Let's take a step aside and take a look at Antonio Giovinazzi, who's also on the hot seat in 2021. Antonio's 27. This will be his fourth year in F1. Antonio's best quality is seventh. That kind of surprised me. And his best finish is fifth. Not bad, considering he's never really driven in a competitive car. It was back in 2015 when his race performance while driving for Carlin Racing is what attracted him to Ferrari. And that year he had six wins, finishing ahead of people like Charles Leclerc. Lance Stroll, George Russell, and Alex Albon. 2019 really saw the first opportunity for Antonio to show what he could do in Formula One when he partnered Kimi Raikkonen. Unfortunately for uh, Antonio, he was way off Kimi's pace and was actually outscored in 2019, 31 points to one. Kimi also had the upper hand in qualifying when he outqualified Antonio 8-4. to four. He did show signs by the end of the season of getting close to Kimi's pace, but as soon as the 2020 season came around, that fell away as well. 
I think it's hard to truly know how good Antonio is just simply because of the cars he's driven. I mean, Ferrari would know, right? They would have the data. They would know exactly how he's performing. But here's the fact is he's getting outperformed two years in a row by a 41-year-old driver. If Antonio was going to show us something, I think he would at least have outperformed Kimi. But he hasn't. Good news for both those drivers is that that car definitely looks like it's improved, and they were fantastic in testing. So I think the ball's in Antonio's court here, right? He's definitely in the hot seat. But unless he thoroughly dominates Kimi next year, I, I don't see him in Formula 1 other than with potentially Haas, where he would flip-flop with Mick Schumacher. The fact that Ferrari passed him over and signed Carlos Sainz is, again, the writing on the wall for Antonio. This is his year. If he does not outperform the Iceman, finito. Finito, Antonio. Sorry. That's just the way it goes in Formula One sometimes. You can show all the promise in the world in the, in the junior leagues and the different categories, but if you don't get the right opportunities, the right, the right timing, the right breaks, Formula One can be cruel. And you can find yourself on the outside looking in pretty quickly. This leads us to our final hot seat. And until this whole Lewis debacle that's been unfolding in the last month or so with Mercedes, I hadn't quite realized how important this is, but we're going to talk about Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel is definitely on the hot seat. I mean, to every knowledgeable F1 fan, Sebastian Vettel doesn't have anything to prove, right? Four world driving championships, 53 wins. I mean, 53 wins. 57 pole positions, 121 podiums. I'd take that career, wouldn't you? Vettel's star was on a, you know, an astronomical rise as soon as he came into the sport. And it wasn't until 2014 that we first started seeing some little, you know, little dents in the armor. Vettel had issues with the car's performance and, and really had a hard time getting on top of it. But his uh, younger teammate, Daniel Ricciardo, won three races that year. And that was the first time people started looking at Seb a little differently. It wasn't until 2017 that Seb found himself once again in the thick of things for the World Driving Championship. He won in Australia, second in China, one in Bahrain, second in Russia. I mean, the guy was off to a great start. Then he won Monaco. But then, Azerbaijan. If you remember, it was during a safety car period where Vettel was following Lewis Hamilton and suspected of Lewis of brake testing him and decided to drive alongside him and crash into him. Funny enough, there was no punishment by the FIA and no apology from Seb. In 2018, I mean, he won in Australia again. He won Bahrain, Canada. I think he won the British Grand Prix. I, th I think so. But this was the race where he was leading this home Grand Prix in Hockenheim and crashed while leading the race with 16 laps to go. That was a, that was a defining moment for him. I really, I really believe that. I, I just think something happened within Sebastian Vettel at that moment that changed him forever. He did later win at Spa, but basically the second half of the season was filled with mistakes, certainly not uh, the driving you would expect from a four-time world champion. In 2019, Charles Leclerc joined him as his teammate at Ferrari, and that was also the start of things to come. Seb got the pole in Bahrain. Yeah, it was, was it Bahrain? Yeah, Seb got the pole in Bahrain and was then passed by Leclerc and then had a bit of a tussle, I believe, with Lewis, and that's where Seb spun the, the rear of the car. Despite those issues, he still podiumed in Azerbaijan, Monza, and Monaco, which led us to Canada. Canada was a race that, you know, I was there. I go every year to Canada. So I was at the race. I wasn't actually where the incident occurred. I was just a little bit further down the track, more towards the hairpin. But as we saw, Lewis 
was putting real pressure on Sebastian in that race. And Sebastian ended up going deep in his braking zone and getting into the grass and cutting the chicane. And then he came back onto the track. The decision to penalize Vettel was not a popular one. But when you look at the onboard camera and you look at the telemetry after the race, it's pretty hard to argue that Sebastian didn't try to intentionally get into Lewis's way and slow him down or certainly block him from passing. It was pretty hard to deny. I mean, you see Sebastian turning the wheel towards Lewis to actually shut him off towards the wall there. And then also, uh, he actually got off the brake and got on the accelerator to make sure that he got through the grass in time to block Lewis. So I had no issues with the penalty. And if I had been Seb, I would have just, you know, initially I just would have let Lewis pass. Avoid the five-second penalty, race it out for, for the final laps of the race and see how it goes. But he didn't do it. The frustration at Ferrari was starting to boil over. And Seb's the kind of guy that, you know, he wears his emotions on his shoulder. You're going to know. You're going to know. Is he happy? And at that point with Ferrari, things were not happy. It was only a few months later that it was announced Seb would not be with the team after 2020. And this announcement happened right before the 2020 season. The relationship was finally done. Vettel even at certain points was wondering if the cars were the same between him and Charles. And they were. But here's the difference. Seb likes a car that understeers. Kimmy used to like a car that oversteered. Charles likes a car that oversteers. I'm fairly certain that Ferrari knew the relationship was over. And since Charles was already with Alfa Romeo, they knew his driving style. They saw all his data. I believe Ferrari already started building that car to tailor Charles Leclerc. And this is the reason why Sebastian struggled with the car so badly in 2019. As for 2020, well, Ferrari were busy serving their time out for being naughty. And that car was useless. Yet it was still an opportunity for Seb to dispel the rumors that he's not adaptable to cars that don't suit him. And that opportunity passed. Charles Leclerc did things in that car last year that amazed me. I mean, that car was really, really not good. I'm excited to see what Charles Leclerc can do once that Ferrari gets sorted out. But one thing's for sure, Sebastian was no longer welcome at Ferrari. But he was welcome at Aston Martin. He felt so welcome, in fact, that he sold much of his personal Ferrari collection. I think it was rough the way Ferrari treated Sebastian in the end. I think it was, but hey, Formula One is rough. So there's a two-sided coin there, but I, I didn't like it. And I've never really even been a Sebastian Vettel fan, but I've become a fan of his. I hope he does well this year, but I think he's honestly thinking long-term. Long-term, he'd love to stay in Formula One in some capacity after his driving career is over. And I think that that could potentially happen this year if, if things don't go very well. And that would leave the door open for Lewis Hamilton. F1's crazy, isn't it? It's totally crazy. This stuff keeps me up at night. So in summary, George Russell to Mercedes, for sure. And Pierre Gasly to Alpine, for sure. As for Seb and Valtteri, Antonio, Lewis, and Esteban, well, this is how I see it playing out. What do you think? I admit I really had to hustle on this episode. Regardless of having these predictions months ago, it, it came out yesterday that Gasly was actually speaking to Alpine. I wouldn't be surprised if Pierre Gasly's intentions for 2022 are announced pretty shortly. And then the dominoes will fall. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. My name is Matthew Kane. Thank you so much for joining me. If you'd like to connect with me on social media, please do. I am at dirty underscore F1 on Twitter. And I am the Dirty Air F1 podcast on Instagram. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. And I'll talk to you after Bahrain.